Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders and Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner of Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. So this is another one of those episodes. We're doing something a little different. We're both back in person together. Keith is down here in San Diego, had to do some business over at SoCal Comics. And uh, while we were there, we did some shopping. We'll talk about that later on in the episode. So uh, right away, we'll get to what we normally talk about first, which is beers. So Keith, what was the first beer you had today? (laughs) So (laughs) I like the way you phrase that. Now is a nice time to mention that usually... Listeners can count on me being like peak stupid ass around minute 45. And now I think peak stupid ass is happening right now. In fact, it probably happened about 15 minutes ago. So we had the madam, two of them. Yes. At, at society, which again is an amazing golden ale. I, I love the madam so much. And we also had, I think I had one taster of a double IPA hazy. Uh, Hazematic. Okay. Okay. From society. And then you had a second taster as well, right? Yes. It was a bubbleless flower, I believe. Mm. No, I'm sorry. Bulbous flower. Bulbous flower, um, which was a single haze. And um, I actually like that better. Yeah. So, but uh, what was on number one on deck for us was the Hazematic, which was a double, just a little taster. What was that, like uh, three ounces or something like that? Yeah. Nothing too crazy. Yeah. And then so we had our Madams. And then right now we're working on a beer back at my place uh, right after burritos, Panza Flores. It is a porter with uh, cejate, cinnamon, Mexican chocolate, and coffee. So it's a bit of a stout, isn't it? Um, I mean, if it's a, it's kind of weird because it's, oh, it's porter, porter, but it has Mexican chocolate in it. So there's going to be a kick, right. there's coffee. It sounds like there's a lot going on. Right, right, right. Uh, I haven't tried it yet and I don't want to yet because I'm not sure I've reached the gravitational field of pure sobriety yet. Mm. I feel like I'm sort of like coming back into like the troposphere, you know, right. like I'm not, I'm not all the way there yet. I haven't really reached like the the official part of earth yet okay so so this is it's a bit lighter than a stout um it's a porter so it's a bit lighter i like it you get all of those notes the the ones that i had just mentioned so uh, i'm enjoying it it's, it's pretty good okay but we have been drinking quite a bit so yes we have and i mean <laughs> look i just ate three quarters of a burrito from lolita's and i'm not all the way back yet so the good news for listeners is i expect that i'm actually like the amount of Keith idiot is should should go down through the episode, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to increase with a peak around minute forty five where we can get quite stupid. It, it now is a great time to mention, you know, like this guy. I think I think Ernest Hemingway said this too. This is two Ernest Hemingway shout outs in two weeks. Um, that was way too much beer. <laughs> End quote. Ernest Hemingway. Right, right drunk, edit sober is the is a, I think that's a Hemingway line, but if not, it's it's attributed to him and it's a fantastic line. So this is why editing podcasts is great. Because if if you had heard the unfiltered version of last week's podcast, like I'm not I'm not sure I was like smart. <laughs> I really, I, as Scott and I talked about earlier, like 
boy, did I edit myself heavily. <laughs> and so hopefully that turned into a coherent listener experience. Um, this is why we edit and right. don't just go straight live. This is why we do a buffer. So right. yeah, I was, I was concerned because I was on vacation brain and uh, I was trying to think of coherent thoughts and I wasn't sure they were getting there, but he's like, no, you're actually pretty decent. And uh, so that was a shock to me, Yeah. Uh, but it's a positive for you guys. So yeah. 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 All when, right. we, when we look back on that episode, we'll see one set of footsteps. From when you carried me. That's right. Because uh, I am Jesus. Because I just came from Mexico. Yes. Um, all right. So uh, we're going. I'm I'm hosting. So that means you're starting. So what yeah. was your first thing? Your big your biggest thing for the week? Yeah. I have I have two writing things I want to talk about this week, and I'm going to do my best to keep this in a vague term. Um, so one of them has to do with the Kadoja comic, and one of them has to do with the novel. But I think they're both worth discussing. Hopefully I can form something good out of it. Which is, I got Mike's notes back from the second issue of Kadoja Symphony of Madness. And there were a lot of really great notes there. Again, I, I just want to, you know, kind of time out for a moment and, and reiterate what we talked about for many episodes here. Which is how important it is to have an objective voice be an editor for you because there were a lot of small things and there were a couple medium things and then sort of one big thing and uh, all, you know, they're all great notes and that's what was so neat about it. Um, sometimes like a couple times he caught my mistakes where I accidentally put the wrong character saying the dialogue. He was like, mm. this is supposed to be this person. You made a B and B a. So like just a few stupid things like that. He had a few action beats where he said, like, so there, he, he said that things need to be changed, but I'm going to take the big, the big two pullaways, um, neither of which I've necessarily fixed right now, but there's something I'm thinking on. So he had a page of what he qualified as talking heads. Um, that, so this is note, note number one, where he said, you've got these talking heads. So his first note through the thing is you've got these talking heads. I'm fine with it, but like, see if there's a way for you to spice it up. And like we've talked about before, like to me, talking heads aren't talking heads. If you're showing facial emotion, if you're showing characters reacting to each other, like having people talking to each other in panel is not necessarily talking heads. Talking heads are to me when the art is not doing enough lifting compared to the dialogue and the mm -hmm. dialogue is simply taking over. So I had written this with the intent of a lot of facial nuances, a lot of back and forth where you can, you have both pieces do equal work. But as he, as he went through with his notes, as, as clearly was happening chronologically, he was like, tell you what, he gets to the end of the two pages, just a two page scene. It's like, what do you want out of this? Like, what are you trying to give the reader out of this? And what do you want to deliver? Let's go with that and see if there's a way for us to rewrite this scene better. And that's where we are right now. So hopefully I can have an update on that uh, next week because I sent a note back and I said, these are the things I want to capture out of the scene. Let me know if you see anything else you want here. And as of right now, I'm not sure where the fix is going to come from. Is it going to be simply by re-editing the scene? Or is it going to be by taking these main deliverable points that I want out of the scene and putting it in an entirely different way? So that was the first like sub note of this note coming back on the comic. So I, I would say, um, so the, I guess the definition of a talking heads page is when there is no action and it's multiple characters or a couple of characters talking back and forth. So 
I think that still falls under the talking head category, but what you're describing is a successful talking head category. So, mm-hmm. so let's not always think about talking heads as being a negative aspect of comic books. Sometimes you need that. It's just like everyday life. Me and Keith are sitting here in my kitchen having a conversation about a podcast. It's a talking heads page. If you if you drew what me and Keith were doing right now, it'd be a talking heads page. But the way you want to convey that is through emotive facial expressions, uh, gesturing, uh, gesticulation. Um, so that that's how you get around those pages. So let's not always think of them as negatives, and it is just what they are. But mm-hmm. it's up to your artist to make those ex- excuse me as successful as possible. Mm-hmm. So make your characters emote. Let them use their hands when they're speaking. Cut to different areas of the room that they're in and it keeps those interesting um and it still keeps it as a talking head but it's just yeah. it's just done well yep and, and that's fair and another point that you know to reiterate is talking heads can be used and should always be viewed as a ticking clock do what you need to do make it happen then get out of there and get on to stuff that's more action oriented that's right you're not doing 22 pages of a talking heads page they're usually one to two pages long at the very most. So um, when you're working on your books out there, just keep that in mind. You don't want to stay there too, too long. As Keith said, it's a to- uh, it's a ticking clock. You want to get in. You want to get out. Uh, get the information that you need in there to transition you to the next scene, whatever that may be. But um, don't spend too much time in there. Yeah. And then the the other note within this, the sub note within the note is that I had a scene of action in there and Mike was saying, okay, I I didn't write it well enough. And and I think that's because the details weren't super good in terms of the choreography. I kind of had a choreography thing in mind and he was like, okay, well, this is okay. It feels like it's falling a little flat, but let's see. And again, these are chronological notes. So what happened was I have this tension that builds to an action scene. And then the action scene coming out of it, there is a line of dialogue that General Cruz uh, says. And it was it was delightful to see this because Mike's note was basically, this is awesome and it is hilarious. It's a great fucking line of dialogue. And then as his notes go through, he's like, you know, the more I think about it, the more I wonder if we should pull away from the action that's subpar and just let the dialogue line hit even harder. So I actually had a follow-up conversation with him, and that's what I decided to do. So maybe, you know, when, when this ends up coming out as a Kickstarter what, what, or as an issue way down the road, because we haven't even done the first issue yet, but what I'm thinking is something I want to do for Kadoja issue or volume four is to have a few more of those pages at the end where we talk process or we just have fun. Or we do some other things. And I think the more I think about it, I think this will be a pretty cool exercise to put way at the end of that and talk about the evolution of it and give people like I'm not I'm not afraid of putting this like semi okay action scene and how Mike's notes were, you know, cut that and let this other line land harder. Yeah, people love that stuff. It's it's great to look behind the curtain and see what creators are thinking, what their maybe initial thought was and what they ended up on. That stuff's brilliant. People love that. And, um, you know, I think that's a great thing to have in the back. And I don't think it's I don't think it's weird at all. I think I think people appreciate that. 
And honestly, like a lot of books in the 90s, um, just listening to different podcasts and YouTube shows, they talk about like how much you learn about comic books in the back matter. And it's just like, you know, a lot of the stuff that the creators talked about in the, and obviously this isn't, this isn't necessarily a good thing, but there are like a lot of what we learned about the story of the characters were talked about in the back matter, what they were looking to do, what they were trying to do. So obviously you want to convey the, that part in the story. You want that in the story. You don't want it only in the back matter, but to have essentially a deleted screen or a deleted, deleted shot, a deleted, uh, a scenario, a scene, um, and have that put in the back of the issue and then have Keith or whoever else open up and say, Hey, look, this is what I was thinking, but we decided to go this way. Cause it seemed more interesting. That's very interesting to people. And it also, it, it opens up people's minds to like, man, but that could have been a cool scene. I think I might've liked that. And it kind of gets them thinking about it. And, and that's what you want. You want people to read your book and then go, that was an excellent book and then read more about it and go, man, I wonder what that could have been. And so now you got them thinking about it and it's yep. just a super cool thing uh, that, that has to deal with comics. Yeah. And on a related note, that's going to be something we do for three protectors because for the higher tiers, we had that ash can where we're going to do, I mean, I went through it. It's like 30 pages of deleted material. Oh, wow. And keep in mind, like, if, if we're delivering 30 pages of deleted material in an ash can or so, then what we're really saying is that is material that is never going to make its way back into the story. So I am very confident it's not making its way back. Maybe people will read it and be like, oh, I really would have liked that. But, you know, it's the direction it took. So, but right. it's it's fun and it's part of the process too, right. you know, to... to see all this stuff out there did your uh did you ever get the first issue to your artist your new artist he wanted to start march 1st did that mm. ever happen what's going on with that for kadoja no i actually owe him another email real quick he seemed pretty cool about it i'm gonna send him another email and let him know like the script is really close i just need to revise a few things. okay and what'll probably happen at this point in time is i'll send him that email and if he really wants i can at least give him some of the script because not every scene is getting, you know, what I could do is I could deliver him the parts of the script that don't have any panel changes. Once I do that, he's good, you know? Right. And then this other scene that I talked about where we may rewrite the whole thing, I can just give that to him last. It, he doesn't need to do, like, right. if it's technically pages eight and nine, they don't have to be the eighth and ninth page he does. He can do every other page and then come back to that. And then I can put it in later. You know, he doesn't care what order he draws them in. Right. I think I think as an artist that would be new to a project, I would say for me personally, I would like to read what you have just so I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So but then at that point, you can go, look, pages one through ten are solid. Yeah. But everything after that is moving around. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and you can start pages one through ten. But after that, no to stop because yeah. I'm going to be more than likely handing you something different. So make sure, you know, make sure that's what you do. You know, like go ahead, work through one through 10. And then more than likely while you're still working on like a couple of pages, I'll give you the rest of the script and we'll be good to go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just so his brain can wrap around the whole of the project as a whole. Yep. Because I know that's something that I would need. Yep. And what I gave him already in the meantime, and he said he was cool with this, is I'm going to give you issue one. Because I haven't lettered issue one yet, but I can yep. give him the art and the script so he can look through that to give him a flavor for where it's going. Also, the visual 
you know, identity of it, all those things. Nice. So anyway, that, a whole lot of stuff there under my first heading, but that was my first thing, even though it had some subcomponents to it. Yeah, mine's good. my stuff's going to be a lot quicker this this episode. Um, so I'm still working on Wanders of Melisande 3. I'm still tackling those panels. I'm in the process of reacclimating myself to regular life. So um, if you guys listened to the last episode, I was on vacation for five days. My brain is still processing the fact that I am no longer on vacation. So it's been a tough go of it. But I am slowly but surely getting back in the process. I've done a panel a day as opposed to a panel a half a day. So it's a little bit of an issue. But at least I'm relatively staying on point. Um, I'm going to hopefully ratchet that up and uh, get, get ahead of the game or at least get back on track. Um, but I also have other things coming up right now, which will be my second point, And I'll talk about that uh, shortly. Nice. Nice. Okay. I was just reading this can. Yeah, what's the APV on that? I, so I was wondering that too because I've taken two sips of it, and each time I'm like, "Woo, it's it's seven. Oh, okay. I know, I know. It feels like it's like thirty-seven. <laughs> Panaflores is an ode to our city's patron saint, Saint Diego. That means a whale's vagina. By that's what I. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what we know. And then they have Diego. some other stuff about the Saint Diego, even though we know from Anchorman, right? It means yeah. a whale's vagina, right? Yeah, sushi rolls. Yeah. Um, okay, so my second thing, I'm going to keep this one a little bit lighter because I want to talk about the biggest note I got from my novel mentor for my book. And I'm going to keep it light because it's novel appropriate and not necessarily comic appropriate. It's like the final little notch. And the final little notch is to have it feel so incredibly inhabited from the point of the narrator that, like, you're in their thoughts all the time. That's the best way I can put it. You know, like, I haven't gone all the way down into having natural thoughts come into the narrator's mind the way they would us. You know what I mean? And the best example I can give is, um, let's say that, like, I'm, I'm saying, I'm writing that Scott walked down the street and... I don't know, something like, a, I don't know, a, a dog runs out. And and the line would be, Scott thought of his brother. Okay? It needs to go deeper than that. Because, again, in this fictitious world where you see a dog and you think about your brother, it's not going to be about, like, you're not just going to think about your brother. Like, yay, my brother. You're going to think, this dog is the dog that jumped in the pool when we were both 12 and I had to, you know, take the dog and the dog paddled and, you know, I accidentally dunked the dog through the water basketball hoop or something like that, right? Like, it's a very specific memory that you're going to have. Right. And while my character in question was very inhabited and thinking inhabited thoughts, this one spot was a spot where the thought wasn't super inhabited. And for those of you out there that might be writing novels as well as comics, like that's the level you really have to go to. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm 90% of the way there, but now I got to go that extra 10% and have every thought where it gets something like that to be like a fully inhabited thought. That's a specific memory. Cause that's how we operate as people, right? It seems so intuitive when we think about it, you know, we don't think of Keith going to high school, right? Like Keith doesn't think back to high school. Keith thinks of that specific time when he was in the school play and, you know, 
this person said hi to him who was a girl he had a crush on for a long time, right? That's, that's how that memory is going to work. It's specific, and that's the sort of um, specificity that you need to put in there 100% of the time, not 90% of the time. I don't think that has shit to do with comics, but whatever. <laughs> hey, Bonus beats. It all yeah. makes me make sense to me. Yeah. 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 It's and, all good. Yeah, and I've been drinking, so. Hey, <laughs> look at us. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah. Nice, man. Um, okay, so my, my second thing is I'm back on commissions. I have some commissions piling up, so I finished that last Mermaid commission. When we finished that commission, he approved everything. He also gave me another one. So that's something I need to start working on, but something I have in the short term is um, a lot of wrestling-related stuff. So I had a guy who hired me a while back to do a mask for him, a luchador mask. And so I had finished that, and he now he wants the rest of the gear. So that's something else I need to do, and that will be started um, this coming week. Um, but in the meantime, I am doing a couple of toy designs for the wrestling company, Pro Wrestling Loot. So there's two more toys that they want me to do, and I'm in the process of that. One of them will be done today. I already have the drawings of it completed, so it's now it's just a matter of coloring the figure and then sending that back to my client. And then um, the second figure that I'm doing for him, the front image is done. So it's a matter of doing the side view and then the back view, and then that figure will be done after I, I do the coloring on those. So hopefully those will be done by the end of the weekend, which I'm sure it'll be done. They don't take an overabundance of time, but uh, it takes time nonetheless. So once I finish those two, then I will get back on Wanders for a, a brief minute, maybe a day or so, to uh, tackle the next project. So uh, a lot of stuff is coming up and needs... Uh, a little sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. The the Mermaid Commission I have been putting off, but there is a comic convention at the end of April, San Diego Comic Fest. So if you guys are local, I'll be working that show. And uh, the commissioner usually comes to those shows. So I want to have that done for him. So, uh, you know, we can go on to the next project and, and everything will be groovy. So it's a matter of tackling those before that time comes, and it's coming up quick. So got to get those done, and that'll that'll be the process. So it'll it'll kind of eat into the the monthly, daily Wanders and Melisande pages. But uh, you got to do what you got to do. You got to keep that money uh, rolling in uh, while still accomplishing your goals of making these comics. I mean, that's that's a good note though because you're an artist, and it becomes a balance between doing the the passion project of yours your story versus the money that's rolling in that like you've worked hard for like you've worked hard to get those contacts and now those contacts are there and they continue to give you work so like you don't want to ignore that either and i'm sure a lot of artists listening right now have to balance that you know like you know yeah it'd be great if if you could get paid to do other people's stuff while at the same time doing your stuff all the time too. But right. we're in the indie comics world and in a lot of cases, the artists are balancing commissions for other people versus work for their own passion project, you know, or their own, you know, upcoming book, whatever it's going to be. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's all about the balance, you know, it's just like, look, the goal is that you're going to be at one point able to just draw your comic full time and uh, not have to pick up these side jobs in order to keep the money rolling in. You know, hopefully you'll be fast enough where you can release them on a monthly basis and you have enough of a dedicated fan base where that that does uh, that does rolling in and they're picking up every issue and uh, the lights stay on. So but uh, in this moment, I got to keep those 
those commissions rolling in and, and it's a-okay. So it's no problem. Um, it's all about the balance. You know, you have to learn how to balance those those deadlines and uh, set those goals for you. And, you know, even if you're doing freelance, you need to know, uh, look, this is my goal for this project. When do I have time for the next one? So uh, keep that all in mind. Yeah. Uh, another a line jumped to my head from a friend of mine, Scheme Richards, who is who quoted James Brown, apparently James Brown. And Big Pim Jones, right? Uh, Scheme Richards is a funk DJ who like spins around Philly. Oh. Um, he has a site actually called the Nostalgia King, which is amazing. Big comic collector, probably actually the the most profound, incredible collector I have ever met um, in terms of just depth of collection and all this stuff. But he he quoted James Brown, apparently a James Brown thing. Uh, I never turned down a dollar. I like that line. Yeah, you know, so, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So shout shouts out scheme if you're listening, and of course shouts to James Brown for giving the quote. And so you got one more thing, right? Or was that both of your things? That is it. Man. Okay, cool. All right, so we're gonna hop on to the main topics, um, and I say topics plural because this episode is the mailbag episode. We have a few uh, listeners who have chimed in and want to know some stuff. And hey, we got the stuff. Hopefully, we got the stuff. We got the stuff. I got the stuff circulating in my veins right now. You got the touch. You got the power. <laughs> the yeah. Boogie Nights part where he sings that was amazing, by the way. <laughs> okay, so number one, uh, I just started listening to the podcast, and you guys briefly touched on page rates. I was wondering if you had a resource or any insight on how much an artist should, could charge. Uh, and this is from at Mrs. Uh, Halama, M. R-S-H-I-L-A-M-M-A. So, Miss, Mrs. Harlama, thank you for the question. Uh, page rates. So, pay rate, uh, page rates are something that's tricky, and it varies per artist. So, any artist is able to charge whatever the rate they decide their time is worth. So, don't let anyone else dictate how much you charge per page. If you think your page or your time is worth like let's 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 do page rate specifically right like so if someone says hey I want you know eight pages of an interior story you're allowed to go I charge a hundred per page I charge three hundred per page I charge two fifty whatever the case is whatever you think your time is worth so the way I would do it is based by per hour so I know how long it takes me to do an interior page I want to say an interior depending what's going on takes between 5 and 15 hours. So how much is 5 and 15 hours worth to you? That is what your page rate is. Okay? So now it's up to you to set the price, but on the other side of it, it is up to the client to say, that is not worth the, my, my dollar. Like, you know, thank you, appreciate you, move forward with your time and, and, and all of that. But it is their option to say that's too much. So you have to either double down on your price rate and say, okay, no problem. Thank you for the opportunity and move forward. Or you make a compromise. You can go, well, you know what? I really need the work and maybe I can meet you in the middle or whatever the case is. So it's completely up to you and it totally varies. Um, and it, another thing is it's on your uh, skill level. So another thing that I've also mentioned here is let's not be delusional on your skill right like so if you're if you're just starting off and you think you're worth $500 a page you're probably not worth $500 a page because you're still trying trying to figure things out so make sure your 
pricing yourself, uh, which is something the market is willing to pay. So again, that goes back to the first point of, hey, you know what? I think I'm worth this much and they don't think you're worth that much. If you're willing to negotiate, it's something to think about. Yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm scrolling around on my phone. Um, and what I'm trying to figure out is if there's a what the new industry standard might be for Marvel and DC. And I'm just going to go by memory here. This might be a little outdated, but I believe the standard Marvel and DC page rate is somewhere around $450 per page. $400 per page, something like that. So please do not hold me to that. Again, this is this is thumbnail-y and ballparky. But I think once you know what the gold standard of page rate in this industry is, that's how you can then charge accordingly. If you're in the indie field, you should probably go lower than that. Because Marvel and DC, like, there's a lot baked into that page rate. Number one, if you're working for those two companies, then you've probably worked your way through the industry and you absolutely know what the hell you're doing. Number two, these are Marvel and DC, and they are paying the artist to draw their characters. So when you get into indie books, you know, you're, again, dial down accordingly based on what you think. Um, another thing about page rate, which is obvious, but that doesn't mean we should gloss over it. Color is more than black and white. Inks are more than pencils, right? So depending on the people out there that are artists on what you want to do, if you're doing colored and inked pages, that is going to be the top of the page rate spectrum. Black and white with t gray tones is probably going to be next. Um, or yeah, and then after that, you might go down to black and white without gray tones. And then after that, you're going to go down to pencils. So just to give people an idea, again, please do not take what I said as the rate at face value, but it was a page rate question, so I don't want to avoid the page rate number, at least as a basic thing out there. There's wide variety in the kind of page rates that are charged out there. So again, to Scott's point, I think Scott said the most important thing here, which is understand where you are in terms of skill, in terms of quality, in terms of the industry, and make sure that your price is in line with that when you offer it. You're going to find out whether it's competitive or not because people are either going to take it or they aren't. Right. And you can have artists that are charging as low as $30 a page, uh, but that can also be based on their skill level or where they live. So if you're if you're a colorist, your artist, your inker, your letterer, if they live out of the United States, they can be charging very, very low. So also don't fall into the trap that you want to be overly competitive with them when you know that you're not going to you're not going to be as fast as them um, and, and know that. $30 US to you is way different than $30 US to someone in maybe Argentina or something like that. That that page rate is going to go a lot further for them than it is for you. So that's a, a trap you can fall into. So make sure you don't do that, you know. Um, and also there are artists there, if you're not that fast, you, you want to charge accordingly to that, right? Like and, and there's going to be artists out there in the US if that's where you're at that are faster than you. So they're going to charge a lower page rate. And it's because they're going to make it up in volume. It's not like there is, uh, they're going to be going like, look, okay, this page is going to take me 15 hours to do. It's going to take them three or four. 
So, you know, like if, if they're charging 30 bucks, they're getting paid 10 bucks an hour if they, if they can draw it in three hours. So just keep that in mind. That's something very important. You can't be shortchanging yourself just based on other people's prices. You know, like don't do it in fear of not getting work. Like in my opinion, you do what you want to do. This is your life. But it's something I would never do. I would never work under what my requested page rate is because I know how long it's going to take me to draw something. On top of that, I draw two books. So I'd rather draw my own books than to draw someone else's. So if you're going to peel me away from that, it's going to be a very pretty penny. So depending on what you're trying to do with your comic book life, if you're trying to work for the big two, then learn how to get faster and uh, draw at a decent page rate, not not obviously an overly cheap page rate. Marvel will take care of you to a degree. I mean, they're funded by Disney now, Disney now at this point, so you're going to hope that they're going to page a pretty decent page rate. Hopefully what Keith said, $400 pages, that seems kind of nuts to me, but uh, hey, if that's the decent, if that's the standard, then, then more power to you, and you're going to make a living off of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I read it on the internet. How could it be wrong? The, the internet is always right. Yeah. Always. 100% of the time. <laughs> how how can that ever work? <laughs> it never works. It never works. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, but also I, I think I think the, Scott said some great shit there. And as someone who has also written some stuff for people at, at a word rate or a page rate or an hourly rate, so much of this comes into opportunity cost because my page rate is higher because I would rather write my own stuff. So for you to want to coax me out of writing my own, my own stuff, you're going to have to pay me pretty decently for it. Mm-hmm. And again, this is all, everything Scott said, what we're saying, it's all part of those bits of calculus that are going to allow you to arrive at whatever your best page rate is. All right. Yeah, there's an industry sta- industry standard, but they're also the standard per person. You need to realize what your worth is what your time is worth. So remember, you can always make more money, but you can never make more time. That is that is a saying that I've uh, thought of and lived by my entire life and uh, know that it is true. So you can always make more money. And, and honestly, um, you know, working for $30 a page seems super insane to me. So uh, please don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Final. Uh, yeah. Final note. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, any more to add to that? Are you good on that one? Yeah. All right. So that was the first one. Uh, number two, this is from Death. He's actually from the Accidental Aliens. Um, he is working on some stuff himself, and um, he's got a question. Hey, man, what's a realistic goal for a first-time Kickstarter? Should a person try building a fan base before doing a Kickstarter, or just do one and hope people on the site will fund it? If the former, what's the best way to build that fan base? Ooh. There's a lot baked in that question. You're pausing so that I can go? Is that it? Yeah, sure. I can go first if you want. Yeah, you go first. Okay. I'm going to vibe off you. Um, Personally, I think for your very first Kickstarter, I think you just go. Uh, And and death specifically, you do a lot of commission work, man. You do a lot of freelance work for people. I think those are people you could potentially tap. If you're kicks, when when you decide to launch your Kickstarter, number one, this is this is my advice to you: get the artwork done first. Artwork is first and foremost the first thing that you need to complete in order to do a Kickstarter, because you do not know what is going to happen. You need to get your ducks in a row first. Make sure you finish the pencils, and then 
you can decide if you want to launch the Kickstarter. If your if your letterer or and your colorist are reliable and they get stuff to you on a regular basis and you know you can count on them, then feel free to launch that Kickstarter. Me personally, I don't launch my Kickstarters until the coloring is at least halfway done. And that is just a personal preference because that way I can show the audience on my Kickstarter page, hey, the art is done. Here's the coloring for the first 10 pages or five pages, whatever you want to show them and um, go from there. You want to make sure you have some of your product out there. I will not, me personally, this isn't everyone's standard. This is my standard. I will not back a Kickstarter if I do not see interior pages. I don't want a bunch of cool variant covers. That's not all I want to see. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm not shitting on cool variant covers. I like variant covers, but I want to see interiors. I want to make sure that work has been done. And not only that, a lot of your cover artists aren't your interior artists. I want to see what the interior art looks like. So that way, when I know I get this book, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm already happy with it because I saw it on your Kickstarter page. So these are just a few things that I suggest you line up before launching your Kickstarter. And me personally, when you're doing your first, first Kickstarter, and this is what I did, and then this isn't Bible Belt, you don't have to go exactly by me, but this is just what I did. When I launched my first Kickstarter, I hit up every single person I knew individually and said, hey guys, I got my Kickstarter going on. I'm trying to launch my first book. Here's the link to it. If you can give me a dollar, two dollars, whatever the case is, there's different tiers there. Please see if you can potentially back it. If not, no big deal. But if you could pass it along to the next person or put it on your social media. So that way, if those people decide that, you know what, I don't got the funds right now, but the least I can do is share it on social media, maybe there'll be someone out there that goes, hey, I know this person they're referring this project and they think it's cool. Hey, I kind of like comic books. Maybe I'll back this. And then you get backers through that way. So, you know, uh, and a lot of times if you're good with your family and your friends, more than likely they're going to support you in your very first Kickstarter. So that might not necessarily be your audience that you're trying to go after, but they're going to throw $5 your way, $10 your way. And then you can push that forward. You can, you can print multiple books with the starting capital of those books. And then not only that, you're going to find people that are on the Kickstarter site or whatever crowdfunding site you decide to go on, Indiegogo, etc. Um, you'll find random people that discover your book and your art and they'll start following you and they'll pick up the title and they'll move forward. So uh, just think about that. You, if you have enough friends and family that you think will support you to hit your goal, then that's something I think you should decide to do. Um, and also make it a very manageable goal. Uh, death, you specifically, you're the artist. You're the most expensive part of this project. This is something we talked about last episode. You as the artist are the most expensive part of this project. So you can think about how much your colorist is charging, how much your letterer is charging, and then go from there and how much obviously to print and ship the books. So then you'll find your goal there. So make sure you're making it a manageable goal. But also, I think with enough support through friends and family and then random people that find your project online, uh, you'll be good to go. So I do not recommend trying to, quote unquote, build the fan base first. Um, if you've put your art out there enough, you've potentially built your fan base enough. You know, if and, and you are a death specifically, you're a commission artist, you've commissioned a lot of people. I think those people might continue to support you in your endeavors if they were happy with the piece that you did for them. And you know what? Like people that are buying art from you and having you do art, they're comic book fans. So the hope is that that will continue on the indie level and they'll support your indie book. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, that was that was all very good stuff. Um, I'm going to echo a lot of what you said. When you first started your comment, you said, I say just go. So I'm going to paraphrase your just go, and I'm going to say, if it's if it's a first Kickstarter, I think your goal should be to fund it as quickly as possible. Because Scott and I can speak from experience that having Kickstarters that take a while to fund is not good for the Constitution. Um, so... I would I would suggest that your Kickstarter goal be as low as possible, like three hundred dollars low. Get it funded, and then make it. The more you get, the more people back the Kickstarter. Make it, you know, kind of prorated in terms of what you're paying out to people or what you're paying yourself or whatever. So that would be my first thing. I would say since it's a first Kickstarter, make it as low as possible. Stack a win. You know what I mean? Like just get a win and stack it and keep building from there. It's better It's better to be disappointed privately about the fact that your Kickstarter didn't quite hit your interior goal than to be disappointed publicly by having to fight your way through a Kickstarter that took a long time to fund. Because again, it's, it's not good for the Constitution, man. Um, so number one, I'd say be as low as possible. Um, what, whatever you feel comfortable with, the lowest amount you feel comfortable with, do that. That's going to... There's some factors that go in there. First factor is obviously how much you feel, you know, you are worth in in the process and whether you want to bake that into the Kickstarter. The other thing is whether you found good suppliers and whether you can get things at good prices at low quantities. Because everybody offers a good price at high quantities. But if you can get good prices at low quantities and then have those kind of get better the more you order, that's really what you want. You want as low a sunk cost or a basic cost as you can get, which will factor into your Kickstarter. So that's that's my first thing of two, I guess. The second thing is more of like just an overarching point that I would say about do you use a Kickstarter to build fans, etc. So my philosophy on Kickstarters is that your goodwill as an artist, the work you do, the people you know, the shows you go to and sell at, you know, your social media, your profile, the good you put out in the world. I believe that anytime you do any of those things, you are filling up a bucket. You're filling up a bucket of goodwill. I believe that Kickstarters empty that bucket. So what you want to make sure of if you're doing a Kickstarter is to fill up the bucket beforehand so it's a worthwhile bucket to empty. Um, I'm not necessarily convinced of my truth in the universe there. It's just something I believe. But I think as long as you're out there building up that goodwill, you're doing commissions, you're talking to people, you're asking questions to podcasters. So, you know, there's there's goodwill that you're building up there. And then you should take your Kickstarter and make it according to what you think that the bucket that you can empty is. Um, so I, I and it's kind of an indirect way of answering the question, but it's the only way I can think of that can answer the question. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think between both of us, we got that. So, uh, Death, hopefully that answers that question for you. And, uh, you know, I'm rooting for you. So I want to see that book, and I want to see some pages. That That's what I want to see. And it's something that me and Death talk about a lot, um, you know, between wrestling and comics. Those are the two things that me and him talk about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, I always want to see everyone in the Accidental Alien succeed and put that book out there. And I will always be one of the first people to back it. So once you get those pages done and uh, get that Kickstarter up, I'll be there. Rock on. 
All right, and then our last question for this episode is from Steve Whistler Jr. Um, Stat Boy Steve. Steve is a, a frequent listener. He always is uh, fact-checking, especially our public domain information because he's a big public domain head. He is one of the people that I consult when it comes to those things. I and feel pretty good that we haven't heard from him much. It means we're not fucking up. Yeah, yeah, these right. Last couple yeah, exactly right. Um, and I love the way he formatted his question. This is great. Hi, Scott and Keith. Long time listener, first time caller. Big fan of the show. Pause for host to acknowledge. Uh, okay, my question. Besides books explicitly dedicated to the craft of writing and drawing, what would you consider essential reading slash viewing when starting out? Not just for entertainment, but as an example, how to do it right. To what example do you point in order to best understand the visual language and techniques that utilize the comic medium in the most effective way. I'll hang up and listen to your answer. <laughs> Steve Whistler Jr. Yeah. All right. Thanks, so thanks, thanks for your call about the Philadelphia 76ers. Because <laughs> that's what you're here for. They're doing quite well. They just absolutely stomped, uh, well, stomped one L.A. team and beat the other one, so... Um, yeah, we think that we can get more out of the power forward position. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, see so what, how about I go first? Yeah. Um, there, so Steve, thanks. Thanks for that. There are three, I think that there are three books out there that are complete masterclasses in making comics. Um, they do tend to run a little bit more on the serious nature. So keep that in mind. Okay, so, but his question specifically, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're going about to say. Yeah. But he said it's not on the process of making comics, but comics that you just would read and go, this is the shit. You think I'm that drunk? Yeah. I'm not. Okay. I'm right. not. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going I'm to blow your mind. Just just making sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just fucking with you. Um, so the first one is The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. I, I would say that, in fact, Steve, if your question had only been one book, I would have made The Dark Knight Returns that book. Mainly because it's a superhero book. So I think it's going to translate the best to all forms of media. The next two I'm going to give, eh, you know, a little a little headier, I guess. A little more literary, if you want to use that word in terms of comics. But I think The Dark Knight Returns is a masterclass in how to make a comic. And, if, and again, if your thing was one, that would be the one. Watchmen by Alan Moore is another one. Um, I mean, the craft on it is high. The the density of what he is doing in Watchmen is severe. I mean, it tells you all you need to know that they made a movie out of Watchmen that was basically too faithful to the book because people couldn't fucking understand it. You know, so Watchmen as a movie could have been a lot more accessible than it was. Um, but they wanted to really hold true to Alan Moore's vision. And that's what made it so, you know, dense to a lot of people. But I think as a comic... Watchmen is the kind of thing that you can reread 10 times and pick up something new on the 10th time and then read it again and pick up something new. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and the best thing about Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen is they're, they're one volume. Um, the third thing, which listeners of the podcast can probably telegraph that I'm going to get to right now, is Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Um, again, I, that, that's my number one. Um, so, you know, if I was giving an answer that I thought would be the greatest good for the greatest number, it would be Dark Knight Returns, my personal favorite comic, um, you know, Sandman by Neil Gaiman in terms of in terms of a form. I obviously love Infinite Kung Fu by Kagan McLeod, but that is, you know, not as lyrical, not as 
you know, literary as Sandman by Neil Gaiman. And uh, so th those would be my three. Um, if you got to pick one volume of Sandman, maybe two, I'd say pick volume one, which is just the first eight issues, and then volume four, which is Seasons of Mists, which I referenced about half a year ago. That was the one where I grabbed up all the comics in advance of the Sandman series. That's my personal favorite. So Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, and Sandman are my three. I have no problems with any of those picks. I would say two out of those picks would be something that I would have mentioned. Um, I am not as giant of a Watchmen fan as most. I, I do quite enjoy it. I would definitely, I definitely did not read the pirate version or the pirate uh, parts of the the Watchmen comic books. But I know most people don't skip anything. That was just the one thing I skipped when I was reading it. I was like, I don't feel like this has anything to do with the story. Um, so I would, I would go past those. Something I would put on that list, however, would be Batman Year One. Uh, uh, Dave Mazzucchelli uh, on the interiors, Frank Miller on the writing. Uh, fantastic. The visual element of that, that series is amazing. Um, so, yeah, no, no objections there to what Keith's list was. So let's add Batman Year One to it. And then um, going something a little more modern. If, you're, if you want something that is... In the the superhero genre, so I would say the Dark Knight in year one, it's a little more than your average superhero book. That's not something you're reading on a regular basis. That's something a little special. But if you just want to go superheroes, and this is, and if you listen to the pod, um, my favorite comic book series of all time, uh, superhero comic series of all time, is Invincible. So if you want to know, like me personally, if you want to know how to do a superhero, right, a brand new superhero that you're introducing to the world, go read Invincible. That book is so fucking amazing. You know, the balance between home life and superhero life, the characters' emotions, their feelings, the supporting cast, like you're caring about everyone in that book. So me personally, that's something I would point to if you want to do it, if, if you like comic books the way I like comic books, you like particular books that I like. If you like my comics, if you're reading my books and you're like, what is Scott like? Go read Invincible. That's the book. That's the book to read. So I, I think those are all good. I think that's super helpful too. I mean, yeah. you know, the thing about the three that I mentioned that you kind of corroborated and also year one, like they're dense, they're heavy, you know, they're, they're again, the, the rap thing that pops in my head is the public enemy. You know, like Public Enemy is the type of music that you listen to and the hip hop thing where you want great music, but you want to be educated a little bit too. Right. But that doesn't mean I'm in the mood for Public Enemy all the time. Exactly. Sometimes right. I just want to hear something that's fun and great and well, a well done example. So I love the Invincible example just to give some variety there and not have it be, you know, not everything has to be like lyrical and dense and literary. And right. That stuff. Yeah. And if you're just into, you know, like the, the beauty of Invincible, it's a, um, oh shoot, I, I, I can't even remember how many issue numbers it gets up to. Maybe 110, 115 or something like that. I, honestly, I can't remember off the top of my head. So, but if you're looking at one story that it's going to be like, look, this is this character's story. This is this character's life. That's the way to do it. You know, like there's other series where you can just read per issue and go, yeah, that was a great issue. You know, Savage Dragon is a really great book. Like it's a longstanding book. They're like in the two, 270s, I think, or whatever. And like not everything is 
you don't have to read everything to understand what's going on, and I think that's a beautiful part of comics. And that's something that I enjoyed as a kid was like I can pick up Spider-Man issue, you know, 276 randomly and still know what's going on because I know Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing your own books, these are characters that you're going to want to uh, you know, have your audience familiar with. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But hey, it's always good to try to create those issues. Like, like when it comes to Second Shift, if someone said, I want to pick one issue to understand what's going on with your book, what your book's about, what type of book it is, what issue would you pick? I tell them seven. Seven is a complete one and done. You do not have to read anything before and you do not have to read anything after to understand what's going on in this comic book. It's like the perfect single one and done story. So it's funny because when I reorder books, that's usually the book I have to reorder the most because it's the one I refer the most. If people aren't looking to buy the entire series, they don't want to spend money on a trade that they might not like. Okay, you want you want to spend four bucks. This is the, this is the issue for you. So... Um, in my case if you want to spend four bucks tough shit <laughs> yeah it's just well then you buy uh, oh yeah you can't buy uh, three protectors um so you have to buy uh, 12 dollars worth of book yeah. for that in that case um yeah so anyway uh check those books out steve hopefully that answered your question as well so we want to thank everyone who uh wrote in questions and it was through all forms. I think I got one on Facebook, I got one on Twitter, and I got one on Instagram. So those are great. Thank you, uh, Mrs. Uh, Hilama. Thank you, Death and Steve Whistler Jr. We appreciate the questions. And um, that's going to do it for the main topic of this episode, the mailbags. So hopefully you guys learned something there and that was informative to you. But hey, guess what? Me and Keith hung out today before we started recording this, and we went to SoCal Comics. We love SoCal Comics. It's one of the one of the it's the home base essentially of this podcast, as well as the Accidental Aliens. It is our home comic book store here in San Diego, California. So if you are ever in San Diego, California, please go to Southern California Comics. It's in Claremont Mesa Boulevard. It's an amazing shop. You guys can't go wrong. But we're going to talk about the books that we picked up while we were there. So enjoy the rest of this pod. Yeah, why don't we do half and half? Yeah, why don't yeah. we just go about half your stack and try to make a good. A breaking point and we'll go from there okay okay um, so i'm gonna go first because go i already it. have a breaking point go for and it. it is the books that that keith got me while he was on a, a little a little trip of his own he yeah. did a run up the coast of wherever he was and he was going to random comic book shops and he has my list of books that i'm looking for so number one on the list Savage Dragon. So he picked me up some random issues of Savage Dragon. He got me 199, 201, uh, oh, excuse me, 200, 201, and 204. So that is freaking awesome. They're at a very good clip, um, about 50 cents over cover. Mm -hmm. So And they look pretty clean. Dude, they're you know? clean as hell. These are great books. Um, Savage Dragon 200 is like a triple, uh, it's 100 pages. Mm -hmm. uh, super spectacular. Cover price is $8.99. He got it for $9.50. So, so killer. Thank you so much for getting me these. And another book that I pick up is Time Before Time. And I was missing some issues. Unfortunately, I missed out on a couple. I thought I had them on my pull list, but they weren't on my pull list. Um, so, issue four of Time Before Time. And then Radiant Black number seven. Um, so thank you for grabbing me these. Yeah, so man. Th th that is my first half. Yep. And he and I were talking before that I, we're not going to talk about it on the podcast until I go there, 
but I have a couple trips planned uh, in early April where I'm going to be grabbing some comics while I'm out on the road. So we'll see how that goes. So for me, I'm just going to break this up into, you know, halves. And so the first thing I did was I got the first three issues of Rain, which Scott had actually thrown up on your Instagram a couple days ago, I think. Or no, or maybe you texted Gary and I, like, this is awesome. But, no, it was on the Instagram. Okay, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. he, so he was just like, this is awesome. And then I looked it up because I had actually passed over this in my comic shop. And, uh, and I was like, oh, shit, this actually looks pretty cool. And it's it's got Joe Hill's name on it. Not sure how much Joe Hill did, but uh, pretty interesting premise. And, uh, yeah, I, I gave it the page test, opened it in the comic shop in SoCal Comics. And I was like, this looks great. So give it a go. And it's, it's worth uh, latching on there. And you got the first three, which is funny because I only grabbed the first one. I grabbed it on a whim because I saw it new comic book day. It was a new release. And I was like, yeah, well, sure, why not? I was short that week. There wasn't a lot of books in my pull list. So I was like, yeah, yeah, fuck it. Um, you grab one, two, and three. I went to go grab two and three. There was only three left. You got the last number two. Hey. So I need to hunt down number two, uh, which is all good. Though. That sort I'm, of I'm, sucks, though. Yeah, you, yeah, you turned me on to it. And then that's, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm not overly upset. I got you. I got you. Um, and then the second thing, so I'm going to talk about a few books that I put back, which is you know, you make your way through a comic shop, you have your whims. And so SoCal Comics has a four for 10 bin, which is, you know, slightly better, obviously, than the than the dollar bin. Um, and I was like, ah, oh, let's see what's in there. And I, I came across some Fantastic Fours. And Fantastic Four is the kind of book that it's great. It's in every comic shop. You can always just fill out a purchase with what you want on Fantastic Four. But then I had a couple Fantastic Fours in my hand. And then all of a sudden I was like, ah, Silver Surfer. You know, there's this run of Silver Surfer. I had bought, I think it's 44. That's the first Infinity Gauntlet. And I got that at a fantastic price about three months ago. And uh, Silver Surfer, is, that run is one of those damn books that I got rid of way long time ago. But now I'm looking to just get back when I can. And so I looked through there, you know, slightly, you know, like, whatever, recent 90s to current band or something like that for Silver Surfers. And I, I had a nice little mini run here. I got number 50, 51, 52, 53, and 54. And the nice thing is that two of them are actually in the dollar bin. So a little, a little lower quality perhaps, but that's okay. You know, I don't need everything to be near mint. And so all said and done, I got the five comics for a pretty decent price. I mean, you know, you can see the highest price tag on there for Silver Surfer 50. It was eight bucks. And uh, it's a pretty, it's a near mint, so that's an excellent price for a near mint Silver Surfer 50. It's got a fancy hologram, Silver Surfer or whatever, foil, metallic press thing. Yeah, uh, foil, the dye foil or whatever. Dye, um, yeah. A logo. Embossed. And then embossed, yeah. yeah, yeah. Silver Surfer himself is like raised. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah, and this was a nice run uh, that I I'm just going to... I used to have 52. Yeah. I think Dude, I actually again, used to I, have this issue. Totally, totally. So anyway, those are those are pretty cool. There's some great Silver Surfer Galactus stuff there. And there's also Thanos making uh, his presence known after the Infinity Gauntlet. And then I'm kind of going out of order here. But the thing about SoCal Comics is for for ten dollars you get twelve books and as this tends to happen you get to like i have eleven and then i spent you know twenty minutes trying to find a reasonable twelfth book which is ridiculous it's free <laughs> i should have just gave i should have just gave you this one book that i had from the dollar bin and you would have just been set you would yeah, have had two yeah. free books but anyway so what i did was you know to the point you made earlier i i had that cool run of magnus where it was the woman 
um, through Dynamite. And I was like, ah, yeah, I went through all these things, found a couple things. And then I finally came across Magnus Robot Fighter number three, the man Magnus. And uh, it was issue number three. And so this is kind of what you were just talking about. I should be able to pick up issue three and have it be a pretty good story. While I may not get everything, I should be able to pick most of it and then see where it goes. So why not? It was free. I had, I had gone through, this is like option P in terms of my alphabet. So it's free, theoretically a dollar, but give it a go. And again, I tend to just like Magnus as a character and we'll see what happens from there. So just worth a shot, worth a shot. Nice. Uh, yeah, the only dollar book that I got, it was Decorum. It is a Jonathan Hickman book, and uh, Hiddleston is the artist. I am behind on my reading, and I, I believe I saw an ad for this in the back of Moonshine, whatever random number, because I've been reading my Moonshine from the dollar bin. So I created a nice little run of it. So as I've gone through, they have ads in the back of their book. I saw Jonathan Hickman had this book. I really liked the art. I was like, hey, this art's pretty sick. And unfortunately, I was only able to find issue two in the dollar bin. So it was the one dollar bin book that I got. But it looks cool. So I uh, grabbed it. I'll probably hold on. I'm sure there's going to be a sell on Midtown or something and try to find number one first. Or I borrow Keith's or something like that. Yeah. And then, uh, then I'll move forward. Um, so I actually got my pull list. So... As you guys know, I was on vacation. I was unable to get my pull list for two weeks. We decided that we were going to quarantine a week beforehand and then a week out, or obviously um, we were going to be gone for a week. And so I'm picking up this week's plus two weeks worth of books. So I got Saga 57. And um, something amazing about Saga is Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples are making more money than God. So they're keeping the cover price at $2.99, which is insane. And I'm sure they're still making a large profit. So super duper cool that they're doing that. I'm excited to read it. Um, every, every single issue that has come out so far, I've read it basically on the first day that I got my pulls. Another book that I read very soon, very quickly, uh, King of Spies number four by Mark Miller and Matteo Scalera. The art is amazing. If you're a fan of Batman the White Knight, Harley Quinn series that is the same artist, Matteo Scalera is amazing. He also did Black Science with Rick Remender. So um, huge fan of his and a huge fan of this series. It's, it's basically uh, James Bond if he was retired and he's just fucking people up. Uh, another book, it is brand new this week or last, no, it is this week actually, uh, Ghost Cage by Nick Dragota and Caleb uh, Gallner. Nick Dragota, I actually recognize the name and I think he might have worked with Jonathan Hickman on East of West. Um, yeah, I think he is the artist on East of West. And he actually has a character on the front who looks like a character from East of West. So this is a number one. It is a large price point of $5.99 for our first issue. So that's a little rough, but his uh, work is tremendous, and I'm curious how this book goes. So I grabbed that one. Another first issue. I believe this book was released digital first. It is We Have Demons by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, uh, excuse me, Greg Capullo with Jonathan uh, Glapion on the inks. So this is issue one. I think this was digital first initially. And they had that out for a few months, and then now it is to to print through Dark Horse. And so I'm very interested in checking that book out. 
Little Monsters by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. They did Descender and Resender, I believe. And uh, so this is another collaboration by them. This is also Image Comics. I am a huge Image Comics fan, so I had to pick it up. Plus, I love Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. And uh, I'm not really sure what this is about. It's just like, I think it's like little vampires or whatever the case I, is. I got it too. You've already... That and uh, Ghost Cage, I grabbed this week in my shop. Oh, right on. Shots cool. coming. Okay, and then another next book that I got is Ant Number Three. Um, this is by Eric Larson. Uh, this is originally created by Mario Gulli, who has um, uh, he created this character, ended up selling it to Eric Larson. He was hard on times or whatever, and needed to make some money. Um, so it's interesting. I find this to be an interesting book. Okay. Just the the setup alone of how Eric got the the character was. was interesting in itself so it made me pick the book up uh we got red room trigger warnings number one by ed piscor uh black hammer number 10 or black hammer reborn number 10 another jeff lemire book huge on jeff lemire and uh the, uh, anything in the black hammer universe i'm into time before uh, time before time 10 and 11 to go with the number seven that keith got me uh oh, apparently i got two covers look of at little you. monster look at me yeah and then I got, as talked about, I got Rain number three, Missing number two. And then um, last, this is something Keith just read, and I was actually needed to talk to him about it. Mm -hmm. Radio Spaceman, one of two. This is a Mike Mignola book. Greg Hinkle on the art, Dade Stewart on the colors. And it looks fantastic. I guess this was a drawing he did during his quarantine. He actually released a sketchbook of quarantine drawings he did. Mm -hmm. And I think this character specifically was one that he drew and people wanted to know about. So he wrote a story for it. Okay. So, what'd you think of this? Yeah. So I, I thought it was fun. I generally think that Mike Mignola is the, how, how do I put this? I think he's the most like fun creator out there right now. Okay. Like he comes out with batshit stuff. And that's what I love. Man. I love it. So yeah. yeah, I mean it's I, I read there was a novel I read of his. Um it was great I can't remember what it was called of course. But it was co written and uh same thing man. He just he has this amazing imagination. And so Radio Space Man is every bit that. I it, I had fun. I thought it was pretty cool. It read fast because there's a lot of um, dialogueless pages. Visual storytelling. Yeah, visual. Um, and you know, no matter how hard you try, uh, they go fast. But yeah, man, it was it was a fun read. I can't wait to get number two when it comes out in like a month. Oh, right. Yeah. All worthwhile. Right. Worthwhile. Glad worthwhile. I grabbed it. Then. Again, Mignola has an amazing imagination, and uh, it's always fun to get you know new books of his. Right on. Yeah. What's your second half? Okay, so hey, it's the Jeff Lemire show. Um, oh yeah. In in the dollar bin. So I had I had had this little mini fascination with Old Man Logan, had gotten some in the dollar bins, but it turned out that it wasn't what I thought it would be. And then I found out that there was a mini series, which I had read, and I thought it was fine. And then there was a regular series. And the regular series started out with some Jeff Lemire issues. So as luck would have it, in the dollar bins, they had one through four. And I was like, damn, okay, this is great, because... I mean, SoCal Comics dollar bins, man, they continually restock that stuff. Like, you can definitely go back to the same place more than once and be like, oh, crap, there's new books here, you know? So I did that. And then I also had another little mini run of 15, 16, and 17, which was pretty cool. So seven total Old Man Logan books in the dollar bins. Um, to round out my dollar bins, 
I completed my Iron Fist The Living Weapon run. Ooh. Now, this was the one that way back in the day I said was lousy, and then Brian Clark had said, ah, I thought it was kind of fun. So not only did I kind of re-pursue it for that, maybe to give it another chance, but also it's it became a little collectible, the Carrie Andrews 12-issue limited series, because a year ago there was this speculation that, like, well, Marvel might redo Iron Fist and not have, like, a white guy be Iron Fist. So this is now my, like, fifth copy of Iron Fist Living Weapon number 11. And I have mentioned this before, but see this part right here? That is Pei in the story first becoming Iron Fist. And that is why this is slightly sought after. I mean, I found it in the dollar bin. You know, if you know what you're doing, you can get it cheap. Again, I'm on, like, my fifth or sixth copy of it. The recent new Iron Fist, quote-unquote, makes this perhaps a little bit more worthless than it was two months ago, but that's okay. You never know. Just just because it's the new Marvel comic doesn't mean it won't be a TV series, you know? So, anyway, the Carrie Andrews style is super wild. Scott's looking through it right now. Um, But, yeah, anyway, so that was a a dollar for basically another kind of significant issue that may Did they have another copy of this there? Uh, I think that was the only one. Ah, balls. I think that was the only one. Um, And then the final thing I got... This was just a great example of like how a killer cover sold me. And this is Catwoman Lonely City, book two by Cliff Chang. And uh, boy, I saw this cover. It's like, it's got a lot of purples, a little bit of like, uh, is that mauve? I don't even know. But it's this really great cover. And then I looked in the interiors and it was just gorgeous. Yeah. Cliff Lang- uh, excuse me, Cliff Chang is freaking killer. Yeah, yeah. So the interiors were killer. It looked killer. I generally like the DC Black Label series and that's what this is. So now I'll just have to hunt issue one and, uh, and see where it goes from there. But um, yeah, I, I'm really excited to read that. I hope I can track down an issue one so I can get to it. And uh, yeah, it was fun. Again, they're, you know, as with me, anytime in a comic shop, I ended up putting some books back and uh, just went with what I was feeling today. And uh, I feel pretty good, man. Look forward to reading it and you know, these last couple of weeks have been pretty bonkers. Like, I have really let a lot of my reading go because I'm waking up every day and I'm just doing Kickstarter stuff for the first 30 minutes. So instead of reading comics over my coffee, I'd, I'd been promoting the Kickstarter over coffee. And uh, now with the Kickstarter behind us, I can, you know, get back to reading comics every morning when I wake up with my coffee. So should be pretty cool. And again, I'm, I'm really happy with all the books I got. Right on, man. Yeah, some of those are pretty killer, and I got to look for for some of those. Um, yeah, there's some issues that I wanted to go through in the dollar bin, but while we were there, just for the life of me, I couldn't remember what I was looking for. Yeah. So I missed a couple. I missed a couple of them, and then SoCal has a great back issue collection in general, not just for a dollar. Yeah. So there's some other. I need to go on the other side of the shop and look for some things, but uh, yeah, I'll probably do that on Wednesday when the new new books come in. And I think, honestly, a lot of my pull list came in in the last two weeks. So I think it'll be uh, sparse when I go in on Wednesday, which will be perfect. Because then that means I can just grab the couple of books that come in through the pull list. And then I can search through the, the older stuff and just see what else they got. And they, I think they had said they just picked up a collection and got like like a shitload of long boxes in mm. so i'm very curious as to what they got because um you know they they know what they're looking for mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome yeah man all right cool uh is that everything you got everything i can think of hell yeah all right that'll do it for another episode of making comics thank you guys for coming by and listening to the pod um you can find me at scott lost s-c-o-t-t-l-o-s-t on twitter and instagram and then facebook.com forward slash scott lost you can find me in st louis rolling on dubs oh wait you can find nelly 
in St. Louis, rolling on dubs. You can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. That is Keith doing things. That's Three Protectors. It's Kadoja. It's my life. It's Invader Comics. And then, of course, I'm at Kadoja Kaiju on Instagram, which is more giant monster specific. You know, we're ramping up for uh, another Kickstarter in a couple months there where Kadoja issue one of the final arc is going to come out. So time for me to do some work and, and get ahead of that. Right on. And then you can find my books, The Second Shift in Wanders and Melisanda, Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, Wanders and Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, A Thousand Years in the Future We Start Colonizing Other Planets, Come Across the Planet Melisanda Where the Meteor Never Hit, and Dinosaurs of That World Survived and Evolved. So it's about two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Keith, does that ever work out? It never works. It never <laughs> works out. So if that sounds interesting to you, if minimum wage superheroes sound interesting to you, go to accidentalaliens.com to pick up those books. Um, if those look, look good and you guys want everything, if you want all of my books, if you want all of the second shift or if you want all of Wanderers or both, uh, hit me up on my social medias. I do a bundle pack. We don't have the bundle pack on the website, but if you hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, hit me up, let me know that you want all the books, and I'll get that to you in the cheapest way possible. Because the more people that read the book, the more excited I am and the more happy I am. Take um, it okay. all! KeithRFoster.com is where you can find my stuff. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk about this over beers, but I am really looking to rededicate myself to the iHorror article thing. Like, I want to contribute more to the comic reading world, especially on the horror thing. You know, like... The thing about iHorror.com is when I first asked if they wanted people to write stuff, it was novels I thought I was going to review. Well, they have people reviewing novels. I'm just finding the opportunity with comics. And so um, I'm going to look to get a couple, not only articles and reviews on there, but a regular monthly feature, which the editor just okayed like three days ago. Check that out. Um, iHorror.com will have it. And in the coming weeks, you should get more from the Keith R. Foster site on that now, too. So anyway, KeithRFoster.com, there's all kinds of books you can buy, and there's articles you can link to. All right, man. Yeah, and horror is super in right now in comics, so I'm sure there's plenty of stuff for you to review, read and review. So yeah. That's awesome. yeah, oh, it's about making choices, for sure, on the horror side, you know. Right on. And then if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you have some topics or a topic idea uh, that you want us to talk about or if something we've talked about we didn't cover enough for you something you didn't understand go to making comics podcast at gmail.com shoot us a note there or any of our social medias and we'll be glad to respond to you um as you have written us and then we'll respond to you on the air yeah i mean like we just did we had a mailbag episode. a whole episode yeah man. that could be you that could be your life that could be you exactly boom so apple podcasts um if you're listening on Spotify, then, you know, yay, there's a way to rate us. <laughs> you can do it. I, Keith, Keith doesn't know it. I don't know. I'm too I stupid. relatively know, but I've never tried it. Ed, Ed gave very clear directions. 100%. And I still can't do it. Right. So, you know, again, that's that's on you, Spotify world. Um, but a lot of people listen to us on Spotify, so hopefully we're rated really well there. I don't know. But um, Apple Podcasts, you can actually not only review us like you can on Spotify, but you can give us some words. We appreciate any and all reviews on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you want to do it. They always help the algorithm. We've made it, you know, look, fuck the algorithm gods. They work for us. Make them work for you. 
and uh, and give us a shout and give us some words and give us some high star reviews. We really appreciate it. Yeah, that'll do it. And so we do not have a Patreon. So like we mentioned, pick up our books on our websites. Uh, hit us up on social medias. That's how you support us. No, no free money. We don't want the free money. We want to give you books for your money. So right. uh, yeah, go to those websites, do all that stuff. Do the Kickstarters when we got them, and we appreciate you, and we're out. Yeah, and we have enough books to give you a goddamn hernia. That's right. So get earn that hernia. Can we make that a hashtag, like earn the hernia? <laughs> I got nothing else. <laughs> I don't know what else to do after that. All right, earn the hernia, pick those books up, we'll mail them out to you, and uh, all is right in the world. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah.